Oh, wow. What an intro. That's amazing. Thanks, Austin. I'm always trying to keep up with Austin and how much water he drinks. Have you guys seen the, the gallon jug he carries around? Have you guys seen this? Anybody? He literally walks around with this giant igloo and he just goes, hey, what's up? <laughs> anyway, thank you, Austin. And thank you for allowing me to be here. It is so great. I hear so many great things about the 5 p.m. community. And I just want to point out, you have an amazing worship team. You have an amazing series of greeters and tech in the background. Can we, yeah, round of applause. Absolutely. This is a great community. I love that. You guys are creating space for people to explore and encounter God and one another. I mean, that's just awesome. So I'm excited to be with you guys. Um, We're kicking off a new series, actually, uh, called Generous Living over the next couple weeks. Uh, Me and some of the other parts of the teaching team are going to be walking through uh, different topics in regards to generous living in between some of the guest speakers that we have at our church. And uh, and so tonight, we're going to talk about time. We're going to talk about time. And to start off, I thought it'd be fun to go ahead and do a little quiz because I know you guys love quizzes, all right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look up on the screens and we're going to try to determine who said this about time, okay? So who said this? To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. And a time to every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, time to plant, a time to reap, a time to kill, a time to heal, etc., etc. Who do you think said this? Keep going. What? Say what? Solomon. Okay, you guys are such biblical scholars. Fletch is laughing because it's not. Who is it? The birds. That's right. The band. The band, the birds. Okay. All right. That's okay. Okay, they were inspired by Solomon. Okay, next one. Who said this? How did it get so late so soon? It's night before it's afternoon. December's here before it's June. My goodness, how the time has flown. How did it get so late so soon? Who do you think said this? Dr. Seuss is correct. Great job. Great job, you guys. All right, last one. Who said this? My favorite things in life don't cost any money. It's really clear that the most precious resource we all have is time. And I'll give you a little hint. Former CEO of a very profitable worldwide company. Steve Jobs is correct. Congratulations. Nice job. That's Steve Jobs saying that, you guys. Now, um, I know that these, some of these aren't very familiar, and, and maybe some of you guys got these, but if you think about it, we've all got these interesting ideas about time, but I guarantee you, you're going to get this next one. This is a fill in the blank, all right? So what is time? Time is what? Money. Time is money. If you were born in the United States, this has been ingrained in you whether you realize it or not, right? Now, if you were to go to another part of the world, if you were to go and travel to another country, you would find that they have a very different understanding of time. And if you're in business, you would go and you would work some of the different cultures in our world and you would be very frustrated if you didn't realize that they have a certain version of time than you. And uh, this plays itself out in our lives as well. And specifically in mine, I think about my, my, my beautiful wife, Joy, that I've been married to for almost 11 years. And she and I oftentimes have this disconnect between our understanding of time and the purpose of time. And so, for example, she'll say, hey, honey, why don't we go ahead and take the girls for some family quality time in the minivan and go to the shopping mall and go shopping? Does that sound fun? <laughs> the words that come to my mind are the opposite of heaven, okay? So uh, it reminds with well, 
or tell, okay? So that, 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 does not get, that is not exciting for me. I do not want to go do that. You know, okay, let's take them to the park or let's do something like that. But her version of family quality time and mine is very, very different. Now, if you think about this whole topic, what's really significant for us is this, is God wants us to understand the nature and the purpose of time. He has a very specific uh, desire for each and every one of us to live out our purpose according to the nature and the purpose of the time we have on this earth. We don't know how long we have. And God makes it very clear in his word. Man, you have got to understand the nature and the purpose of time to find the kind of life that I want to give you. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at two dangers Two dangers in our approach to time. We're going to look at two passages. And then after that, we're going to find out what exactly is the approach to time that God desires for us so that we can experience the greatest life possible serving him. All right, so let's start off in the book of James. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of James, chapter 4. Starting off at verse 13, James chapter 4, verse 13. If you are not uh, familiar with the Bible, it's okay. We've got it right up here on screen. James chapter 4, verse 13 and following. A little background about James. Uh, He was actually the brother of Jesus. And during Jesus' life and ministry, James did not believe that he was the Messiah. In fact, James came to faith after Jesus died and rose from the dead. But James was also well known as a very pious leader. He was known as Old Camel Knees. Uh, and it's like, what kind of a nickname is that? Well, he was a prayer warrior. He was always on his knees praying. So he was a well-respected church leader in the Jerusalem church. And one of the things that's significant about the book of James to help set us up is this, is that James was written to encourage Jewish believers that had been dispersed throughout the Roman Empire out of Jerusalem as a result of persecution that is recorded in the book of Acts Stephen, the first Christian martyr, is kind of the signpost of that persecution. And these Jewish believers that had come from all over the place to to, to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem, they heard the good news of Jesus Christ by the Apostle Peter at Pentecost. And all these people give their life to Christ. 3,000 people. The church is born, but now they're being persecuted and they're being dispersed back all around the Roman Empire. And so, James, who's a good church leader, a pastor, wants to encourage them. And one of the significant themes in James is double-mindedness. That there's this temptation that some of these Jewish believers were experiencing. Hey, they're facing trials. Other Jews weren't happy about the decisions that they were making about Jesus. And they wanted to capitulate their faith and turn away. And they wanted to have friendship with the world and friendship with God. And James is saying, you can't live that way. You, You can't serve two masters. You are are, are at risk of compromising the kind of life that God has for you. And so right here in James chapter 4, we find he wants to warn a specific group of these Jewish believers about their approach to time. James chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Let's stop right there. How how many of you, when you uh, wake up in the morning, you've got your whole day planned out. You love time management software. You've got it all dialed in. How many of you love to plan? You guys got it all dialed in, right? 
How, how many of you are more of the free-spirited kind of people? Like, let's just kind of roll with things, right? So all you free-spirited people are reading this and saying, I knew it. I knew it. That's evil. You can't plan like that. Look, it's in the Bible. That's not what James is saying, all right? He, he's got a point here. But he's, he's wanting to address some specific individuals that were Jewish merchants. They were wealthy. They, they were Jewish Christian merchants. And, and he's addressing them who kind of had this perception of, hey, we're going to go do this. We're going to make lots of money. We're going to engage in business. There's something flawed that he's going to get to here in verse 14. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? So right away, James wants to make it very clear to these individuals to take a moment and before you assume some things about the future and the plans and what you want to do with making money and business, you need to take a step back for a second and you need to be reminded of two things. One is you're limited. You do not know what the future holds. You are a finite human being. In addition, what is your life. Think about it for a moment. What is the content of your life? How long or how brief is your life really? And to make the point, notice what James says. He says, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Your life is transitory. You are here one minute and gone the next. What what is happening here? Why is James going after these guys? James is wanting to humble them from their assumptions about time. Have you ever been humbled before? When I was growing up, I loved playing sports. And uh, we would go out into the neighborhood yard and play football together. And uh, years later, started to pick up basketball. Wasn't really familiar with it. We played out on the schoolyard. And uh, it, for those of you who know me well, you, you know that I don't have a lot of talent but I make up for it with hustle, okay? So I will get on the basketball court. I don't know how to do anything. I'm just gonna outrun you. I'm gonna out-hustle you. I'm gonna dive. I'm gonna go after it. Well, I, I just kind of lived my life playing basketball like that. And what happened was it started to realize it kind of pays off. And, and people were starting to say, hey, we wanna pick Aaron on our team because he just hustles. And so over time, I started to feel really good about myself. I'm like, man, I'm pretty good at basketball. You know, I can, I'm, I'm not too bad until I got to college. Uh, I went to Cal Poly, as Austin referred, and, and I went there, and I remember freshman year, I'm with the dorms, I grab a couple buddies, I'm like, let's go play basketball with the open gym guys, all right? So we head down there, we show up, we get on a game, I'm starting to dribble the ball, I'm like, I cannot wait to show my skills out here. And so I start dribbling the ball, and I go up to take a jump shot. All I have is a 12-foot jump shot. I have no other shot. And so I go, I'm going to show off my 12-foot jump shot. I go up to take this shot, and there is a blur that comes out of the side of my like, vision. Just this blur comes by me. And in the midst of that, this hand comes across the ball as I think it's going into a perfect arc into the basket. And this person just swats the ball out of my hands and yells, Get that bleepity bleep out of here! Oh, Okay. I, I was like in shock, but I got swatted big time. In fact, uh, to add insult to injury, this person was six inches shorter than me. And, and it was just one of those moments where my NBA aspirations were dashed. I was completely humbled. And, and, and I never thought uh, that I was as good uh, as some of the other people that were out there again. But what James is doing here is he's humbling these wealthy Jewish believers 
because they are presumptuous about time. They are assuming things that are unhealthy and that are dangerous, not only to themselves, but to the community around them. Notice what it says in the following verses. In verse 15, instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. What were they doing? They were making plans without God in the equation. They, they were assuming things that, that the things that they wanted to do were so important and more important than including God in it. And so notice here in verse 16, 16 as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. The word boast there has this sense of, um, of, hey, look at all the things that I've achieved. A public demonstration of all my achievements. Check me out. The word arrogant there has this sense of feeling superior or better than the others around them. So you can see that this is actually devastating to the kind of life that these Jewish believers should be living. It's compromising their allegiance to Christ and the impact that they can have for his glory in the world by their perception. And notice in verse 17 the consequence. I'm sorry, skip back. All such boasting is evil. This is completely opposed to the will of God. And notice in verse 17, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's a sin for them. That's kind of an interesting verse to have at the end there. Why is verse 17 in there? That just seems kind of random. Unless you think about it. When you are so consumed with time being yours and for your own benefit, it blinds you to the needs of those around you, does it not? It does. Your agenda is the primary focus of your life. And I, I, I hate to admit this, a couple months ago, I was working late on a Sunday. I was here uh, after the morning services for a couple hours, and I was tired. I wanted to go home see my family. And I'm starting to walk the stairs down by the office, and I'm about to turn the corner to my car when this woman comes around the other corner, and I can't hide. And she says, ah, help. I'm like, what is going on? What? Who, what, what? And she said, help me. I need help. You're not going to help me, are you? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm here. I can help you. I'm one of your pastors, by the way. And, and, I, and I'm like, uh, yeah, I can help you. What's going on? But in my heart, I was like, I want to go. I want to hop in my car and head home. I haven't seen my family. And, and she starts to just break down. She's got a cart full of stuff. She, she looks like she's been through a lot. And I go, what's going on in your life? And she was actually kind of angry with me and leaning into me. And, and I'm like, I, I'm just here. You know, what, what do you want? You know, how can I help you? And so she starts to tell with me her story and decisions she'd made and some bad things that had happened to her and health problems. And I said, well, how can I help? And she's like, I don't have a good cart here to carry my stuff around. I need a new cart. I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's walk across to Stater Brothers and we'll go get one. And, and so for the next 30 minutes, I'm walking with her and talking with her and asking about her story. And in it, man, my heart is just battling. And I'm realizing, oh, Aaron, what are you doing? You are so consumed with yourself and your own agenda. By the time we get to Stater Brothers, we buy this $12 cart. I'm literally taking her life's possessions and taking them from one cart into the next. And, and I just talked to her a little bit more, encourage her. I pray with her. And that was it. But I was so ashamed. I, I was blown away that this struggle was happening in my heart. It is so easy, isn't it, 
to assume time is for us, that time is ours. And so the first danger is the attitude of arrogance when it comes to time. And it's, it, it's an attitude that we all can fall into. It's so easy in this world in where we live, whether you're a student, a parent, a grandparent. I mean, time is something in which we want to own. And yet James makes it very clear here. No, no, be forewarned. Watch out. You do not want to be arrogant about this. Keep God in the equation. Make sure God is the one that you recognize is in control of everything. He's the author of time. And so that's the first danger we need to be aware of. What's the second danger? Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And we're starting off at verse 13. Luke chapter 12, verse 13 and following. Jesus has a very similar discussion that gives us the second danger when it comes to approaching time. And he speaks uh, about this parable to an individual who had come up to him and who had said, I need you to have my brother give me my inheritance. Jesus is just walking along and he's carrying out his ministry and this guy kind of steps in here. And what is this man asking Jesus to do? Basically, his father has died and the inheritance has gone, as the first century traditions articulate, to the older brother. And the older brother was due double the portion of the younger brother. And his responsibility was to disperse the the rest of the resources to the younger brother. And so obviously this is most likely the younger brother who's asking that Jesus, who he perceives as a teacher or a rabbi, to make a judgment on it. And so Jesus points out that there is a danger here in his approach to time. And notice what he says in verse 14 and following. Man, Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. See, this guy was coming up to say, hey, I want you, Jesus, to judge on this issue. There's been an injustice done to me, and I want you to go ahead and make sure it's made right. And what Jesus does, as he always does, is he gets to the root issue. He says, no, 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 here's the real problem. And he casts a new vision of what it's really about. His insatiable desires for things was driving this man. And he tells this parable in verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now, let's pause right there. There's an indication from the story, just by the way he's talking to himself about this, that demonstrates that he doesn't have community. You know, in the first century, everyone's business was everyone's business. And for him to sit here and go, huh, what should I do about this, indicates a very sad state of this man. He was wealthy, but his wealth had separated him from community. Notice it says this in verse 18. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now we look at this and we think, well, is that so bad? right? We're like, we're supposed to save. We're supposed to put things aside. I mean, that's not a bad thing, right? To, to kind of relax every once in a while and plan effectively. And we do want to retire at some point, right? I mean, what's the big deal about this? 
Well, if you were to look at this closely in the original language, that word be merry, the word there is where we get the word diaphragm from. <sighs> and we, that kind of idea of breathing in and breathing out, you know, it's that idea of like, oh, I can finally sit down and relax after working all day long and, you know, turn the TV on and relax. A big sigh of relief. Or you go on vacation to Hawaii and it's the first time you get down to the pool and the sun is just, you know, just got out there and you're, you're just, oh my gosh, this is so wonderful. There is just a sense of, oh, I can just take it all in right now, right? But the problem with this mentality is this, is that the rich fool here in this parable is equating satisfaction and happiness and fulfillment in life with simply satisfying his fleshly desires. He's assuming that, oh, food and drink and rest, is, those are the things that my, I'm longing for that will fulfill me. And Jesus makes it very clear, that is such foolish thinking. Look at the next verse. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. That word demanded from you has kind of this sense of your life has been on loan and now it's time to return it back to its proper owner. Your life is demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? All this stuff, you can't take it with you. And you've invested all these resources into this whole thing and to try and prepare for this. And you think life is going to be found in this. It's not. And now your life is taken up. And notice the point he makes in verse 21. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And this is the second danger for us. It is that when we first uh, have this attitude of arrogance that time is for us, we run into this second danger, which is, ah, time is all about accumulating things and possessions and chasing after titles and achievements and none of that matters because that's not where life is really found and jesus is saying you're foolish if you are chasing after this you're foolish if you're looking for this to satisfy you it never will you were not designed for that so how do we approach time if we know what these two dangers are that are so easy for us to fall into. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. But this is what I would say as a result of these two passages. Time is a gift to serve God and serve others. Time is a gift to serve God and serve others. If you approach time this way, I guarantee you, according to the scriptures, this is the best use of however much longer you have on this earth. Time is a gift. You do not own it. I do not own it. And the best use of it is to serve God and serve others. Be rich towards God. Bring great gains towards God is what Jesus is saying. Now, how many of you have ever taken advice from somebody? Anybody ever taken advice from somebody? A couple of us? All right. Some of you who have not raised your hands, uh, you have. It's called Google, okay? So whenever you're looking for information, you're trying to learn something, you're getting out of your go to Google, etc. Well, here's the deal. Jesus didn't come to give us good advice. He came to rescue us because you and I have a heart problem. We have this insatiable desire to continue to chase after things that will never bring us life. 
And Jesus says, I know that. And so I want you to use your life well. And the way you can do that is by receiving my gift. Jesus dies on the cross so that you and I, who place our faith in Jesus Christ, will get a heart transplant. That we will get the Holy Spirit placed inside of us so that we will start to care about the things that God cares about. Not only that, our rebellion against God, our arrogance against God, thinking we own time and it's all about our plans and our agendas, all that's rebellion. And Jesus says, I need to go ahead and take that punishment that you deserve on myself on the cross. And so the great news is this, is that God desires for you to live the generous kind of life he has for you, but you can't do it by yourself. You'll never do it by yourself. You'll never do it. God says, I want to go ahead and fill you up. And for some of us who are followers of Jesus, even though we fall into these dangerous traps every once in a while, maybe more regular than, than others, we can always come back to the gospel and be reminded, oh God, what am I thinking? I, I, I'm living a life that is not how you designed me to live. For those of you who are seeking Jesus, this is your day. This is your day to say, yes, I don't want to squander any more time. I want to know the one true God. I, I want you to come into my life and take over. Because everything else on this side of eternity will never fulfill you and will keep you separated from the God who loves you so much. And so what, how does this play out? What should we do? Well, because time is a gift to serve God and serve others, the encouragement for us is to take our next step. And if, it, if you've never given your life to Christ, tonight is the night to do that. For some of us, we've never served before. This is the encouragement to start looking at your life differently. When you give your life to Christ, you have a new vocation. If you were a stockbroker before you gave your life to Christ, the great news is now you're a servant of God through stockbroking. Is that a word? Stockbroking? I don't know. Um, if you're a teacher and you give your life to Christ, what's your vocation? You're a servant of God through being a teacher. See, you don't have to kind of give up your whole life and go to Africa to serve God. You do it right where you are, in the dorm rooms, in, on the college campus, you know, in your office, in your home, whether you're a single parent or not. God wants to use you everywhere you are. And so we don't have to have all these excuses like, when I get more time. No, 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 no. God owns time. You're, you have a new vocation to serve him wherever you are. Take your next step. But one of the great things about our church is we love to create opportunities because I don't know about you, I need to be reminded that serving and sacrifices is so important, not only for my own heart, but it builds community and relationships. And people start to kind of get to know one another and you grow together and you help build the church up and reach out to the community. We need more of you to step forward and say, yes, I'm gonna start serving. And so we've got connect cards to help indicate, hey, I'm interested in, in learning more about how to get involved. And I, I know this community is so great with all your connections team and, and some other things you guys are doing. Take your next step. Get involved. It's so important. And I'll leave you guys with this. One of the things that I need to be reminded of is that life is truly found in service. A number of years ago, I was uh, driving from, um, I was a pastor at another church. We were overseeing a sports outreach event for underprivileged kids, kind of similar to what we're doing with Love Europe, which is so awesome. And I was coming from another event, and one of my fantastic volunteers was leading this event. I was tired. I wanted to go home. 
But I'm like, I need to stop in and check in and see how this thing's going. And so I go over, I pull up, I get out of the car. My heart's still kind of hard. I'm tired. I walk up. I see all these kids playing and all of these volunteers loving on these underprivileged kids. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this five-year-old girl runs up to me, a complete stranger, looks up to me, puts her arms up and says, hold me. Hold me. The fact that she would walk up to a complete stranger and ask to be held said so much to me about a world that is desperately longing for God's love. And I would have missed that. I would have missed it. This is where life is really found. Time is a gift to serve God and to serve others. So let me pray for us as we remember the sacrifice and the generosity of God through communion. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much again for reminding us that time is a gift from you. Wherever we're at in our spiritual journey, you're inviting us to take our next step. If we do not know you, if there's some of you in here that, that don't know Christ and you want to know Christ, I want you to pray simply this prayer after me in your heart. Jesus Christ, I believe you are the Savior of the world. Jesus, I want to know you. I want to follow you. Would you please forgive me of my sin and my rebellion? Jesus, would you come into my life? I invite your Holy Spirit to come in. I need your help, Lord to help walk in your ways and your truth. Thank you, Jesus. That's for you. If you've prayed that prayer, you've given your life to Christ, you've got to tell somebody here. Tell one of the Connections team, the Believe team, prayer, Austin, Ryan. For others of us, we are simply reminded of the fact that God is so generous. He's so loving that all we can do is say, yes, Jesus, we want to serve you. Help us to find ways to continue to serve towards such a great and awesome God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.